0: State of the Industry Podcast. And here we go. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is Adam Youngsma. What you are about to hear is part two of my lengthy conversation that I had with Brett Allman. To put it briefly, Brett Allman travels all over North America and speaks to thousands of people on topics including mental health, parenting, and media, and he's also published several books. If you didn't catch the first part, you may want to do that before venturing in, but if you like to consume your episodes like a jigsaw puzzle, then go for it. So without further ado, let's dive right in. We're back here on the State of the Industry podcast with Brett Allman for part number two of our talk on mental health. I want to dive right in. Um, A lot of what we've talked about in part number one was all about prevalence of mental health, what it is, and dividing it up or looking at it more holistically from a body, mind, and soul perspective. So really allowing personal trainers to get an idea of where they lie in the greater schema, that we do play a role in helping people who may be dealing with mental health issues. But what I want to get to now is actually talking about a bit of a different topic, and it's something that we see in personal training a lot, and that is oftentimes the goals that clients come in with have something to do with the physical body and wanting a change, which ne- isn't necessarily a bad thing, but often it's for a wrong reason, right? So there's a lot of vanity in the fitness industry. And I always like to point to like when's the last time you saw on a, a billboard poster, some form of marketing for a gym, when's the last time you saw somebody who was overweight in that marketing material? And you rarely see that. And that can actually be a massive barrier for new clients coming in they actually like because i've spoken to people in classes that i teach at centennial college here and oftentimes they'll say to me like i don't go to the gym because i don't look i'm not ready to go to the gym. i'm not prepared to go to the gym i need to lose 30 pounds in order to go to the gym so i look like the people who are at the gym right i just don't fit in there so how do we address the vanity issue that is prevalent in the the fitness industry? How do you, how would you go about doing that?
1: It's funny, some of these questions are big questions. (laughs) Um, I think part of it has to come down to gyms and marketing, but it's interesting. It comes down to the conversation of like being happy with our bodies, but also wanting to be as healthy as we can, right? It's a both and. Mm -hmm. Too often we see today kind of like, I saw, um, I've been following Jubilee. I don't know if you've ever seen the Jubilee videos on yep. YouTube. It's like they do questions and people go places. And one was kind of like people who are happy with the way they are and then fitness people on the other side trying to make them be better. And it's like, you can have both of those things. Yep. Like we also want to make sure people don't have greater chance of diabetes and early death and heart disease and all like those things are still big killers in this world. Um, so I think a bit of it has to do with marketing. I think a bit of it has to do with like those photos. As you said, you don't see, no, I, I think some gyms do more. Uh, some of the ones like Curves and others who are specifically going for an un, I was gonna say un that's not a term. You know, like people who are not used to the, the like they're, they're going for a different clientele, people who aren't yeah. used to going to a gym. Yeah. And I think you see that too with some of the, just some of the, maybe some of the smaller clubs. But it's like marketing is one. But I think for us, like for trainers and people, one of the biggest things I say us, I haven't trained in 20 years. I felt good just saying us. I felt like yeah. it was part of that. But I think it's just realizing that all, there's an entanglement with all of these things. Mm-hmm. Meaning, if you want to do better in one thing, you might have to do those other things as well. So, like if you are dealing with trauma, if you're dealing with other things and it's affecting your sleep, well, your recovery is going to be affected by that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're Uh, struggling with panic attacks and other things well that will of course affect your training sessions and it's going to affect like everything affects everything I think that's the quote from 13 reasons why the Netflix series from years ago but it's really true Mm -hmm. everything does affect everything so we want people to be physically fit we want people to be emotionally fit and then Mm -hmm. you can use spiritually soulfully fit whatever you want for that but like we want people to be doing well in all of those categories. Yeah, I once heard someone kind of talked about ladders. It's like, you, you know, it's even thinking of sports teams. Like, is your weakest link the thing you're supposed to... Like, do you want someone like from like a Maple Leafs? Do we need more Marners and Matthews? Or do you take the weakest link and move those things up? Same with training. If you have three ladders for body, mind, and soul, if you're doing really well with training, but the other two are not... Does that drag, like, are you able to continue forward or do those things drag you down? And I don't have a specific answer to that, but I think they would. Mm -hmm. Like, because each of those things affects others. And so it's kind of like a Venn diagram with three circles. Like if if you're sick, like if you have, I say a flu, not like a coronavirus, but even I've had friends with coronavirus who've gotten better. But my point is just, if you're unwell, you're not, like your spirit won't be great. You're not like, Oh, I'm just feeling great. And at the same point, you're not having, you know, great. You're not writing books or different, like great blog articles. like everything is affecting everything. So yeah, I would just say addressing it. I think it's just, I think too, as a client, you just saying, this is what I'm going to do, but I'm also going to challenge you in certain other areas. I think that's a good thing. And I think people would respect that. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, you, you talked about,
0: kind of having ladders. I've heard it talked about as like buckets, right? So mm. you've got a, you know, for for this conversation, like you've got a body bucket, you've got a mind bucket, and you've got a soul bucket, which one's full? If one's full or overflowing, like the body already is, well, we've got to address the other two buckets because that's, you know, as you said, the weakest link. But it's also, you know, just kind of to tie this into just body itself because that's what I've often heard it referred to as, is the buckets of physical fitness or physical wellness is you've got a cardiorespiratory bucket, you've got a muscular strength bucket, you've got a, perhaps a, like a lymphatic flow bucket, right? (laughs) So like the ability to get rid of a lot of waste and you've just got an overall, like just movement, like your movement quality bucket. So like what bucket needs the most work right now? And that's where you put, you know, a lot of your efforts doesn't mean you abandon everything else. It just, doesn't need as much attention as the other, the other buckets that you have. Because even doing a lot of research on spinal stability training, which is one of the things that I speak most about is is the spine and how we stabilize it, but even understanding the role that the diaphragm plays in spinal stability, but also respiration, and that if you don't have good cardiorespiratory endurance, you're not going to have really good spinal stability, specifically when you start to fatigue, because your body is going to favor the survival, so breathing over spinal stability, and then that's when you see people injure their backs when they're shuffling snow, right? So same kind of concept. If you abandon one, they all kind of intermix. They're all sitting there affecting one another. So one of the things that I like to do when I've got a client is I like to speak about wants versus needs with them when they're coming in. I'm hearing what they're saying with regards to wanting 30 pounds of body fat loss or they're wanting you know, to put on 15 pounds of muscle mass. And I listen to that. I, I try to find out kind of the why behind it, but I'm also very mindful with looking at the needs of that client specifically, going outside of those looks those that that physical exterior, and looking at the health of the interior, like what needs to be done in order for you to be successful. Because when I think about it, I think a lot of people are very short sighted, when they come into the gym, they're very, I need to improve this so I look better when really it's, well, let's look five, 10, 15 years from now, where do you want to be? Right? Does 30 pounds really mean that much of a difference? Or would you rather lower blood pressure, lower resting heart rate, better cardiorespiratory health, better spinal stability, better movement patterns all around, less pain. So how can we, when we are looking at something like the wants of a client, start actually thinking about them less in the physical and more kind of in the person behind that want?
1: I wonder how much of that is, I think too, there's so much that we're saying isn't things I also do a talk on dating and I put up like a hundred questions for kids about dating but I always say to them like this isn't first date conversations and this much of what we're talking about today is not first client meeting conversations yeah yeah like hi nice to meet you do you struggle with anxiety like that's not like you need to build a repertoire now there might be some questions in some assessments that you're doing initially but and people might share a bit but it takes a little bit of rapport for people to trust you mm-hmm. and for people to know that you're, you're going to listen and be okay. And so I think, I mean, when you finally head to that, we're more than just the body, which is actually why I actually left training. I just, there was a vanity to it that I struggled with. One of my last uh, summers I was training, I was training two Budweiser girls. They were lingerie models, which everyone It's funny, like I trained those two and I trained a guy from the Sudbury Wolves who's a hockey team. If you know hockey junior, I think it's junior B. But like he needed to, I think it was 13% growth in like, I mean, bench press. Like this guy was a beast. And it's like just 13, you don't just throw out 13%. It was such a random number, but he was already an elite athlete. And the Budweiser girls needed certain striations and certain abs for things. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Like training for simple weight loss was so easy, but the two girls, especially it was, there was a vanity to the conversation that I never had a chance to go beyond that conversation because there's so much more to them than just their shoot they do for whatever modeling agency or something else. And part of that might come to be just like, you know, as someone's, there's always that dialogue happening in between like yeah what book you're reading or even a challenge of, I'm going to give you a book every a book. Like I encourage you to read X book every so many weeks. And it just might be interesting to see if, you know, you're able to push them in different ways. And it might be something that as a trainer, you're just pushing them a little bit, just nudging them on different things while you're doing it. Like mm. I would love to see a greater, I don't even know how to, I can use, so in my mental health, I've I've spent i spent more time now not just with doctors because I found no one spoke to anybody. Yeah. But I've been going to what we call functional medicine clinics, and so it's doctors, naturopaths, including that would be everything from chiropractic massage. like I have RMTs who are you now chiropractic. We can d- discuss on old school chiropractic, new school chiropractic, uh, but even like. Uh, physiotherapists who do modular cranial thing like there's so much to that but I'd like to add into that trainers dietitians like all of this is part of health and wellness Mm -hmm. and so in that I think we begin to realize that just the physicality of how I look is one component of my health and wellness yeah and I love functional medicine because everyone talks to everyone it's not perfect but like my the two kind of quarterbacks on my natural path. And I think he's really the quarterback, but and my medical doctor. But you're talking two almost worldviews, yeah. but they collide and each bring with them unique things. Mm-hmm. And then in that, each of my like my physiotherapist brings unique, he does a lot of, as I said, cranial work and other, you know, just certain things. And then there's my dietician who's really working on my diet, but each of them talk. And you had a trainer into that mix. Who's like, well, I'm going to work specifically knowing for me, like with Lyme and other struggles, I'm going to work with you on this aspect, but you're all part of the team. I just picture all that under one house, like one clinic. Hmm. And I'm like, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Yeah. A lot so of you, the- you have a client who's struggling and you can be like, well, he, like even probably like, well, here's a great physiotherapist right down the aisle, or This great psychotherapist. There's lots of terms, but like, Go for one session with that person. And then you can even have other people who are doing like life coaching and other things all together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know some of the, um, like there has been more integration, more um, collaboration within the fitness industry in and of itself. But I do feel as though specifically personal training at larger clubs is very, is still very close knit, right? Um, trainers have sales targets, they're scared to lose clients. Um, If they refer out to a physio, a chiro, osteopath, massage, whatever it is, due to an issue, whether it be um, pain, movement issues, oftentimes they're actually a little worried that they're going to lose that client. But as you see in a functional medicine clinic, is that it actually benefits everybody. Right. So not only does that, let's say a Cairo, that Cairo gets a new client, but they're also like, well, hey, I've actually been looking for a trainer to send XX clients to because uh, I'm pretty much done all the manual stuff with them. It's now time to start improving movement patterns or having them moving a little bit more often or getting a structured program built for them. So I think that's an interesting way to look at it, too. Um, with kind of the the mind soul kind of thing like who do we like where do we refer how do we refer out do we have you know a counselor a a, you know a psychologist a um, psychiatrist that we can refer to do we even know any right like that's often the hardest part is finding those people that we trust in order to send
1: them to right and this is where i think big clubs have a, a a big role in that they can begin, like, can you picture if as a trainer, you didn't have targets? Mm -hmm. Like it's kind of like years ago. I mean, many years ago, we used to have, uh, you know, different stores, but some of their people were on commission and some of them were not. Mm -hmm. And you could see the difference. Like other people were like, I want the best for you other. And then if they were on commission, it's like, I need to sell, you need to buy this. But like if you knew that the goal of your club was health and wellness which is such a big umbrella well within that you could play your role and then hand off to others and they then likewise hand off back to you and i think overall then we're actually doing what we all want which is health and actual health and wellness for people you'd like if it's just five sessions and they're done that's not our goal is like long-term health and wellness for people yeah i actually had a a a gentleman
0: who um, works with me he's uh he's a personal trainer and he's maintained a lot of his clients for years and years and years and years. Like he's had the same clients for five, six, seven years. Um, And he mentioned something interesting because he, he's kind of struggled through um, uh, a big weight loss journey. Like he was 300 pounds at one point. He lost a whole bunch of weight. Now he's between 180, 200 pounds. And, uh, but even he was saying like almost every single one of the clients that he sees is struggling with poor mental health on most days when they come and see him, right? Like they, it's, a, it's always around us, but are we aware enough of it? And do we know what to actually do with that? And so I think that's kind of the next piece is um, because he actually asked this question, but he's like, okay, well, what's the next step for a trainer? You've had somebody who you've either caught trigger words or say that they're struggling or start to share some of the, the things that they're going through but what do we do with that information in a session, right? Like, or in that consultation and is just being positive enough for them. Like, can I just, Oh yeah. You know, somebody who's really negative, right. Is just being positive and trying to reframe everything enough for that client.
1: What's hard is as every trainer and every just person knows is everyone's so different and so Mm -hmm. unique. So for some people in training, they just need some motivation and a bit of reframing. And that's a good, right? That, that, that's good. Like that might all be all that they need. Yeah. Whereas for others, there's a little bit more to that. And it's hard because we need to work within our specialty and what we do. Yeah. Like they hired you to do a, a certain role. And the question just says, then is, is how much permission do we have to go beyond that and speak into other aspects of their life? And I think that, I mean, from the most simplistic thing is that like having good mental health is really just basic, like f- hierarchy of thing. Like that's kind of a good foundation we need to be able to move forward. Mm-hmm. So I would say if someone shares something, and the first thing is, is this um, don't react. Like not all of us understand mental health. And so if someone says, Oh, they struggle with panic attacks. I think sometimes we struggle. We're very taken aback by those things. Yeah. As opposed to just that there's an or like you, they're not saying, please fix me. They're not saying, give me your 10 solutions that you think you they might be right. Remember the people saying to me, try this, try this. Yeah. That's not what they're saying. They're just saying, I struggle. Now, I have no problem when someone says to me, you know, And this again it's not like a first date conversation here's all these things but it's so maybe after a number of sessions when there's some rapport I have some friends like how's your sleep like you know mental health is really built on sleep have you tried you know or just even saying I'm going to encourage you each time we come on one aspect of mental health give you a takeaway or give you a book like and I just think that that's where the role might be encouraging listening Like, you're not counseling, but you're listening. And then when you see those aspects that they need a better framework for, offering them that next rung. I think we need wins. So it's just one rung. Like, here's a good thing. Like, there's a book by uh, called The Ripple Effect. Eat better, sleep better, think better, diet better. Eat, think, sleep, diet. Oh, wait, eat. eats the same as diet. Huh, sorry. Eat, (laughs) sleep, exercise, and think. But it's just... Like something like that, which also incorporates how they think inside it. So you are hitting, you know, the little changes that we make. And I actually would recommend that book to anyone. Like, it, I don't think this quote comes from it, but Frederick Nietzsche, the philosopher, I can mm. never spell that. I'm glad we're on a podcast. <laughs> but he once said this, for anything great to happen, there needs to be a long obedience in the same direction. mm like think of that with training, right? Yeah. For anything great, a long obedience, in the same direction. So it's like, this is the repetition. This is the habits that we're doing. And this is where I think we continue with what we're doing with training, but we start looking at like, what would the next, think of those buckets you talked about. What's the next bucket that is the worst that could just use a little bit more in it and seeing how we can add something to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I remember there's a, a, a saying where they're basically all—all all it is is um, you just you work on what you can control, right? So a mm. lot of times as a trainer, we want to fix everything, right? And I think that's maybe just human nature. We just want to fix everything all of a sudden, right? We get a problem, we just want to fix it. And I think just you know, as you said, those little wins, like what's what's the the actionable step that I can take—that little action step that I can take or have my client take that's going to just push them that much further. It might be millimeters, it might be an inch, but you know what can I do? Because all those little improvements, those those little steps that you take eventually add up to be something massive in the end, right? They all add up to be these, these big changes. So how can, or, or what are some good habits that, um, cause I know we've talked a little bit about habits and I know you're working on something right now all about habits. Um, mm-hmm but how can we develop better habits in our clients or even as trainers ourselves um, to ingrain kind of that momentum that the, those small little action
1: steps uh, there's a book i'm a big reader uh, there's a book called the power of habit mm-hmm. it is probably the best suggestion i can give uh, the power of habit why do we do what we do in life and business one of those books that i'm like underlining and suddenly there's pages that are underlined but it's just it's looking at the habits that we do so for me if i want to each day walk every morning so i'm getting up before my wife well i i'm not going to go downstairs and come back in the bedroom and grab the thing so before i go to bed each night i actually put on the ground like i gotta check my weather app so yesterday was beautiful today was not but it's like Mm -hmm. i need socks i need pants i need you know what shirt I have my earbuds or whatever, but I have that all laid out. So when I get up in the morning, there's not, oh, I can't because of something. It's the same with going to the gym. If you're going to work out every morning, plan this the night before and make it a habit. Now, years ago, we used to talk about habits where 21 days or 30 days. But the truth is, I actually agree with that. Yeah. Once, once my walking's become a habit, I, I, each night, so today I knew I was going to be with you here and I had a few other things. So it's like I walked right away in the morning. Mm -hmm. but yesterday uh, it was the weekend and my wife who was a nurse was off. And so we're like, well, we're going to walk in the afternoon, but like, I just plan out my day. And so it's become part of a habit. And the same is with, with like diet, right? It's like, I'm a smoothie guy. So like each morning I have, I mean, I, I did not used to eat well. And so I now, you know, I have, I I do have some inflammation stuff I put in. It's like a powder with all kinds of anti-inflammatory things, but like, I have my proteins, but then I also have things like green tea matcha, mm-hmm. you know, matcha is a good like green tea is good antioxidant, but the matcha is about five cups of green tea in a little scoop. I throw in my smoothie. Yeah. Well, I bought some off Amazon. I found a good quality one. And for the first, you know, little while, it was just pulling that little bag out and dropping it in my smoothie. Well, I'm six months down the road and it's just part of my life. Yeah. And so each little thing becomes part of my life. For me, sleep is another big one. And so I, because I don't sleep well, I go to bed at the same time every day. I go to bed between 10.15 and 10.30 every day. Now, mm-hmm. I would also say I'm unwell. I'm not, I'm doing things. I'm exercising. I can bike 40K, but I'm not well still. I still have Lyme disease. I still have other things. And so for me, sleep is so paramount. I've yeah. just set in motion that this is what I do. Because this is what I need. And so for me, it's it's habits are just those things of you needing to think through what it is. and this is this is the whole question I'm trying to figure out now, how do we instill habits in people? But this book, The Power Habit, how about kind of giving a client a book like that to begin with? Mm-hmm. Because here's the goal. You're looking at how do we, over time, create long-term clients who are getting better in their health and wellness? Yeah, And so there's, they're going to have to create systems, right? And I'm big on systems and processes. Like what are the systems you're going to do to make sure you're how many, like, how many times a week you're going to exercise? Well, how are you going to do that? You add work and family, how are you going to plan that? And I think, right. It's the strategy. It's the intentionality that I think are probably the most important things in that. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of
0: clients um, specifically when they're starting out getting that, that um, Those habits, those rituals of coming into the gym, preparing to come in. Um, I like what you said about preparing all of your clothing and your earbuds and everything in the morning, right? Getting ready for that so that you don't have any excuses. So it's even, okay, in your consultation with your client asking, okay, what kind of obstacles do you see Mm -hmm. for you getting to the gym, you know, two, three, four, whatever, however many days per week it is, what is, what are the obstacles? And then how do we prepare to make sure that those aren't obstacles? Like how do we remove those, um, kind of get past those or, um, you know, even if you do miss a session, how do we make sure that we're making that up if we need to? Right. Um, cause I know a lot of, a lot of trainers are, you know. I've got, you know, this person's three days per week. If you miss one, I do four days the next week, right? Well, that may not work for some people, right? But how do we, you know, they're stuck at work. Have I given them something that they can do at home instead of having to come into that gym, right?
1: This Um, reminds me too of the the rocks analogy. Have you ever heard this one? Like the bigger rocks, the smaller rocks, the sand. And some analogies use the water, which is like, so picture a big... Big bucket, a jar, or whatever. And you have large rocks. And then, as I said, pebbles, sand, water. If you put in the water or the sand first, and then the pebbles or the smaller rocks, and then the big rocks, it won't fit. Yeah. So the big rocks would be an example of big things in your life exercise, diet, work. Like this is where time management comes in. Put in those things. These are non negotiables. So For many of us, exercise is a non-negotiable. Like when I'm done on this podcast, I am going to go do some weights of some sort because I haven't done that. And this is something that I need to do today because it's a non-negotiable. It's a big rock. Whereas I could just get off this this podcast and open up a book or head online or answer emails. But so big rocks go in. And then the second rocks kind of are the, the, the other things in life. And then like the truth is the sand and the pebbles is like, scrolling instagram and some of the other stuff which is all fine but like you can't say you don't have time to exercise when you're watching seven you know nba nhl nfl games per week like it's all about or how do you combine those things so like i combine walking with podcasts now yep i'm getting i'm getting the body and the mind together and the truth is even with walking i think i'm getting the soul and spirit as well i'm getting All of that. I'm walking near water in forests. So like I'm kicking all kinds of, I'm hitting all kinds of these like tick boxes of things I should be doing. Mm -hmm. But I like that analogy. Like, I think it's just, we need to also figure out, like if you're going to be, if you're going to have a client who's going to come in three days a week, how are you actually going to do this? Especially if they're married with children and work and other things. So is it early in the morning? Is it after, or or is it certain days or weekends? Or how are they going to actually do this? Yeah, I think a lot
0: I honestly think a lot of clients come into the gym sometimes with very, very good intentions, but no plan as to how they're going to actually go about achieving any of the goals or maybe just fully unaware of the amount of work that it takes to get a a specific goal that they want to achieve. Right. So a client comes in and says, Yeah, I want to lose 30 pounds. It's going to take what? uh, Three weeks, right? 10 pounds a week, (laughs) right? Um, You know, I heard this, you know, Dr. Bernstein's or, you know, Atkins or Weight Watchers, like, I heard I can do this. And you're like, Well, you can. Like, it's not hard. We can do it. It's just not healthy. Um, Your body doesn't like it and it's going to rebound right back, probably worse than it was before. And so I think they often come in and they start to see how much work it actually takes. And so setting that stage for somebody specifically who maybe has um, you know, some poor mental health, really setting the stage about how much work this is going to take and have we kind of laid out all of those, those tiers or all of the, the habits that we need or we're prepared to make those changes in order to get to the change that we really want, right?
1: What I'm realizing in our conversation too, is that there's so much. Yeah. Like, and, and so I think too, there has to be a, like, it's almost like you can't do everything. Yeah. So how do we, how do we be the best at what we're doing for our clients? But also you're you're not at the same time trying, you can't do sleep hygiene and diet and, you know, their, their mental health and give them strategies on how to cope with like, it's just, you can't. And so it's kind of trying to figure out, this is where I think assessment is so important is finding out when they, when they check in and they, whether it's a daily check-in or whether it's a kind of the original assessments, what is really neat? Like maybe it's just mental health. And maybe what they really just need is the quick check-in for that and encouraging them in that specific thing to move forward. Yeah. But you can't be all things to all people all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think um,
0: it's it's interesting that most of the time, like I'm a big I'm a big believer that if, if you're a trainer and you're training a client, if you get to the end of a year of training with a client three days a week and they're not prepared to go out on their own and train on their own, then you have failed as a trainer. Right, I would even hazard a guess as to say six months if they're not prepared. I didn't say that that they leave you at that after that six months of the year, but if they're not ready, they don't have the movement patterns, the knowledge about how to train, um, you know, the habit of going to the gym. If they don't have that yet, then you failed as a trainer. And then the idea is that most clients stay because they enjoy one, probably not having to think about what they have to do every day, they just come in, they do it, and they leave but they also enjoy the, it it helps with, you mentioned the loneliness piece of things, right? Like it helps with the, the soul, the connection between people to have, you know, somebody who by that point is probably a friend of yours, right? You probably talk to them almost every day, like, My friend Nante, he emails or texts every single one of his clients every single day at the beginning of the day to say, "Have a great day," you know, "Go get it," Mm. blah blah blah, and he is phenomenal at doing that kind of thing because he understands. And as this is the same guy who has had the same clients for five, six, seven years, but he understands what his clients need and the type of trainer that he is, right? Um, So I think that's really big. So we talked in part number one. Way back, we talked about um, really working within the limitations of clients. So like modifying or tempering our training to, you know, specific levels of stress or specific needs with regards to motivation. So how can we do that? Or how can a trainer really work um, on that while still having that compassion and empathy, still getting some training done? but kind of modifying it for different types
1: of clients. What's interesting is we're starting to see, and this is what I like about longer conversations. You start to see the same answers yeah, because it it ends up being very cyclical. Um, I think you need some sort of feedback loop with the clients that you're working with because with all good intentions, with all the knowledge and education we all have. You're really trying to figure out where they're at with that, mm-hmm. and so again, the original assessment flows right into the ongoing rapport, flows into the checking with them and seeing how they're doing. Like all that is just a, a cycle that starts to kind of flow. And I, I don't. I don't think I'd have add much more to that, other than like it's asking, right? I always like when I was a teacher, like. It's always just asking, like, do you understand this? Like, do you need help with it? Like it's it's and then kids would be very honest as a yes or no. And asking a client, is like, how are you feeling with this? What do you need from me? Where can I where can I help you more from? But again, it's the it's being open and, and having a rapport enough to be able to ask someone and then have them answer you that this is where they feel they're struggling with or this is where they're understanding what you're doing or they're not.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know um, from experience there's a lot of Clients who don't respond really well to something maybe like challenge, right? So Mm. they don't respond, they like doing the things that they're comfortable with. And so being able to, you know, demonstrate that compassion and empathy, but still trying to fit in, just change it a little bit, just enough that it doesn't scare them. But it's enough that it's a bit of a challenge for them. You just kind of work around getting to to eventually where you want them to be, and you know the type of exercise or the type of movement that you want them to do. I've actually had a client once who was, um, like petrified of the stairmaster, and not because they didn't like stairs, but because the stairs are moving underneath them, and they're up high, and everybody can see them. Right, so they had that and so we had to modify things for them and so there's a there's something called a step mill which is just kind of two pedals that go up and down they don't actually go all that high and uh ironically enough it sits in the gym that I was at it sits right in front of the stairmasters and so they're able to do that so you get the same result but it's just a different tool so understanding that you know oftentimes we try to force things as trainers we try to force our clients. Like, no, you, you have to do this. Like, this is something that's good for you. Just do it. Just do it. But understanding that not every client can do that or is in the right headspace in order to challenge that at that point. Right? So it's taking those little tiny actions, those little tiny steps to get there. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to do a quick little, um, kind of, before we finish off, I want to do a, a quick little lightning round with you. So it's just three questions, top three. Um, for the first two and then the last one is i think you've already answered it a little bit but you can expand on that if you'd like so the first one is the top three books that you would recommend
1: on any top today matters by john maxwell okay have read that before i have not no it is a simple look at that it's the idea that today matters. Mm-hmm. And so there's like 12 things and it's every chapter. It's so like it is family and all the other and finances. And so the, the idea is, is that every morning when you get up, you think through these things, like how today am I going to be the best financially? How today am I going to be the best for my family or work, or whatever? And at the end of your day, you ask the question of how did it go? Mm-hmm. And if those things didn't do well, you look at, well, how can I do them different? And the idea is, is that Living a day well over and over again, back to the Nietzsche quote, right? Yeah. Ongoing conversations create kind of good things. Hmm. Okay. Uh, oh, so for anyone listening, I have like two thousand books beside me. I am an avid reader, so I'm trying to figure out a few of them. Um, one of the more interesting ones that I've read uh, in the last little while was. Um, I mean, I, I speak to parents a lot. And this might sound weird, but one of the parenting books I read was called uh, The Collapse of Parenting by Leonard Sachs. And Leonard has also written books called, like, Boys Adrift, like a really smart conversation on parenting and challenge. And so it's completely different than what we're talking about right now. Yeah. But uh, that would be my second one. Okay. And third... I am I'm gonna say and I'm I'm just rereading all of these. So for my third book, I'm gonna say anything by Malcolm Gladwell. (laughs) And if you've if you've read Malcolm Gladwell, you realize that all his books are the same. Yeah. In what I like, it's kind of like older books like Freakonomics and other ones, where there are root reasons why things happen. So like whether it's outliers and other ones, it's the idea of looking at how did things happen? Like you know, David and Goliath was one of his recent books, looking at how to like the story David and Goliath, big Goliath, small David. What is it for businesses? Like, how can your little training company compete against the big giants? Yeah, and I, it's just these stories of how people did it and some of the reasons, some of the psychology, kind of behind it. So hmm. I think I would, if you want to start with one, I think David and Goliath might be a good one. Outliers okay. is another. Yeah, perfect. Um, your top three
0: mentors that have kind of helped you either get to where you are help you where you currently are Hmm. and it can be people you've never met before
1: yeah and i believe that because i think mentors don't they're not they don't have to be that person who has breakfast with you once every three months um number one would be and this might be very cliche but my father okay Uh, My dad was a school principal and my dad would be one of those people that I think, yeah, I clearly would say him. Um, I did a leadership program called the Arrow Leadership Program. There was a guy named Carson Pugh who ran it. And just the sessions that he did, I think were just, I'm so big on practicality. Like I need whatever, you know, like if you finish a podcast like this and you don't have something you can go and take from it, Like there has to be that practicality. So Carson did that for me. And I think I'd say a guy like a, like a John Maxwell, like leadership people who write leadership conversations. Mm -hmm. And so he's someone who I've never met, but I've been to many of his events and many of his things. And I would probably say him. Yeah. Okay. And then the last one, what would current you
0: say to 25 year old you, if anything? what would you say if you could only share a couple things with 25 year old you?
1: Um, the truth is I would say don't take, don't take your master's degree, but that's only cause I had, I had a breakdown at the end of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm 40, almost 49. I have two awesome kids. I have a great wife. I wouldn't change a lot. I'm, 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 I'm pleased and happy and encouraged how my life's turned out. Yeah. I would say to enjoy the moment because things pass so quickly. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I have an 18 year old and I have a, almost 17 year old. And it's like, if you have young kids, enjoy that time. If you're a young married couple without kids, enjoy your time. If you're single, enjoy, like, we so quickly looking for the next step, the next step, the next step. And and I think we miss the little things. It's the, it's the conversations, having a coffee, going out for wings. Like There's just so many little things that that's what matters. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I think when
1: you're, when you're young, you're always trying to speed
0: forward. And then there hits a point, point. I'm not sure the exact time, but you're like, oh, my gosh, my life's flying by too fast. And all of a sudden, it's like it catches up to you, and you're now Sonic the Hedgehog rolling and <laughs> breaking down everything in front of you. Because um, I know i 've had that thought too, like I always think to myself, man, if I could go back i wouldn 't change anything, I would just slow down right like if I mm-hmm. could go back to high school and just slow everything down because it it once you get through it, it feels like it 's just like everything 's just flown by. like how did I get to be you know i 'm thirty three like how did I get to be thirty three right like it just doesn 't even make sense anymore, like I wanted to do this by this age and this by that. and like you planned all this out, and now you 're like, okay, now time 's going by way too fast.
1: I once, heard a, I once heard a comedian who talked about life being in the reverse. So he said, you, you basically die and then you are old, old, you, you can barely, you hurt every day, but every day you feel a bit better. And then you hand a gold watch to someone and you go to work and you're the CEO of a company and every year you have less and less work. And then you get to go to high school. It was just this, like, you, it was just this. And then you're a kid, and then you play. And it was just this really fascinating thing of if life was in reverse.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, kind of like that Benjamin Button
0: kind of. You're born an old, old, old person. You continually you know, you get younger. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, it's been great talking to um i know for myself like a lot of really good stuff to take back to my own training and even to bring into um some of the courses that i run with trainers just talking to them a little bit differently about um you know not just looking at the body in and of itself but expanding Hmm. outside of that so where can uh the trainers where can the listeners get a little bit more information about you or follow you
1: or what you're doing how can they kind of read up on that. Sure. And let me just say a quick disclaimer too. I like my website is just my name, it's brettallman.com, b r e t t u l l m a n.com. But I do speak uh, it's interesting. I was a public school teacher, but it was the faith world, the Christian church kind of world that kind of picked me up for speaking. And so I've spoken in that world more predominantly. So if you go to my website, there will be some faith content even though if you go to like into the blog section and click on mental health or go to my YouTube channel, most of what I do is just practical. I have just finished, I think I'm doing 20 videos every day. I'm on number 18 of like dealing with COVID and mental health right now. Eat, sleep, exercise, music. So I just, I don't want anyone to go there and suddenly go out like, you know, there will be some faith-based stuff and you can pick and choose the things you want. But I do, Uh, My website is what I call my landing place. I have about 900 blogs on it. Now, I am not a normal blogger. I am a curator, meaning Mm -hmm. I read and listen to what I think are the best. And those best of the best, I then push out to you as, you know, whether it's mental health, parenting, you know, just conversations on things like dating, media, other things. But a lot of it is not me writing a blog. It's just saying, here's the best. And at the top is all my social media. And again, the YouTube channel, I do... I think I have about 100 videos now dealing with all kinds of stuff. You know, how to be a better father. And that's kind of the research that I'm doing now. How do we be better fathers and husbands and boyfriends? And that's looking at, and this is the problem, we're so varied. There's health, emotional, physical, mental, sexual. How do we have good health? How do we, you know, be good fathers? Like, And even with fathers, how do we be good partners for parenting you know, look at housework, like our wives do more housework than we do. How do we balance out some of these things? Mm -hmm. How do we deal with loneliness? And how do we deal with addictions and struggles with things like pornography to alcohol, and the list goes on. So that's kind of where I'm researching now. And if people have any good books or thoughts on that, you can always send that to me as well. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure, as
0: always, to chat with you. And um, I'm really looking forward to hopefully having you back on and Dive in maybe a little bit more into the habits piece once you finish that course. So thanks for coming on. Too.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: State of the Industry Podcast. I'll be back.